I don't know, sometimes I do feel kind of guilty because like, well, one, I, I look Japanese. I don't look very Filipino. You know, my name doesn't tell you that I'm Filipino. There's also like a colonial history between Japan and the Philippines. And there's like discrepancies in education because of the different immigration histories. Hello, hello world. Uh, welcome to Born in Ghostland. And uh, this is a fourth episode of the program. I'm Yelena Jelazov, the host of the program, which is on East East Radio. And that's the program where I speak to people whose countries of origin possibly don't exist, or perhaps they don't exist yet, or maybe they never existed. In some way, I think we're all from a ghostland of some sort, because wherever we were born, kind of no longer exist because of time. But in any case, today I'm very thrilled to welcome a new guest whose name is Anna Iwataki. Hello, Anna. Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> so Anna joins me from Los Angeles, and she's a Los Angeles-based writer and curator, scholar, and activist, um, and I think a PhD student at the moment. University of Southern California. That's right. I'm in a program called Comparative Studies in Literature and Culture uh, in the Comparative Media and Culture track. Yeah, but I'm really excited to welcome Anna because I've been following her from afar on social media. Her work um, kind of pushing against gentrification in Little Tokyo, which ties into her heritage, which is Japanese I, I think I've just always been fascinated by this, you know, kind of this city to me, like a, almost a ghost of a country. Like I have a personal example of that in L.A., you know, in West Hollywood, like in the eastern part of it. There's a kind of Russian post-Soviet enclave. And, you know, whenever I go there, like I have particular feelings. And yeah, I'm just um, so, yeah, I'm always curious about like how people like how it affects our senses of places where we grow up. Yeah, I just want to hear all about it, like all about your relationship to growing up in Los Angeles, little Tokyo, like your family, your family had been there for a while. Yeah, so only my father's family is Japanese. Mm -hmm. My mom is Filipina. She was born in Manila. Mm. Um, so that's like a whole other aspect of this. But obviously, I am extremely engaged with Japanese American culture and Japanese American identity and specifically how that plays out in Los Angeles. Uh, mm -hmm. My father's family has been here since the early 1900s. My great-grandfather came here and then he went back to Japan and married my great-grandmother and then they came back together. So they, you know, my grandfather was born in Silver Lake when it was still like ranch land. Mm. They lived in a few different places in Los Angeles, as did I. So I grew up in Mid-City, and then when I was in high school, my family moved to Silver Lake. And kind of because of that, and also just, I don't know, for other reasons, Little Tokyo has always felt like the neighborhood that's m most like my hometown, and mm. that's becoming increasingly more the case now. I spend so much time there, and yeah. for me, like coming back into like becoming really involved again in the Japanese American community after quite some time away has felt really natural and also really kind of really clarifying because so much of what's going on in little Tokyo right now is just like a microcosm of what's happening all over Los Angeles and you know globally in terms of development and 
who that development serves and all the kinds of different harms that come along with so-called progress and all that. And so having this like really specific entry point into thinking about how I can best behave in the face of Mm -hmm. gentrification and systemic racism has been really, really helpful for me. I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, I think a lot of gentrification, I think what it does, it kind of, it often erases history, like in kind of in, in trying to obtain profit, I guess. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've been really invested in, and one of the, the things that, you know, the group that I, that I co-founded, I guess, the group that I'm a part of, um, J-Town Action and Solidarity, is like trying to ask ourselves more difficult questions about our role like as individuals and as Japanese Americans in gentrification or like what it means to be protecting, you know, a so-called ethnic enclave while also thinking about like decolonization and complicating the conversations around like anti-Asian racism to like think about how we're also complicit in white supremacy or anti-blackness you know there's like so much work to be done but I am surrounded by a lot of wonderful people uh who are like really interested in having these conversations with me and it's been great yeah that makes sense I mean I think yeah of course it's always complicated to kind of balance um I don't know like an allegiance or like um uh, yeah, I guess like an allegiance to like a certain heritage, and we always worry like it's always like taking us to like a nationalist place, I guess. But there's absolutely also, it's like a, a balance, I guess. Of like we do want to, I think it is important to know like where we are coming from. Um, but I think yeah, we can do all these things like at the same time. We could sort of consider where we're coming from and where we're going, essentially, right? Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. And it's just like about asking like continually asking ourselves difficult questions and thinking about like what every term or like marker of identity means when we use it like what does it mean to claim to claim a neighborhood or to claim an identity or you know like what are your feelings about it i guess like given the fact that you it is like yeah, little token you have as part of your heritage. Like, do you feel how do you feel about it? Like, well, like what comes up? Maybe, maybe something comes up from like family history. I don't know because I mean that is the Japanese Americans especially like have had a really traumatic time in terms of place. I think contested places like being taken away from their homes um, during World War Two and yeah, I mean there's just so much. Yeah, absolutely. It really, you know, obviously that's like something that's defining for our community for you know for better for worse the best lessons to come out of it are that you know we're in the struggle against white supremacy that we need to be in solidarity with like everyone who's being made most vulnerable by xenophobia and racism but kind of what I've been thinking about is the dangers of allowing ourselves to like rest in this kind of either nostalgic victim narrative that like we're the you know shit happened to us and so it excuses you know anything we do to like have stability or to like to succeed or to make progress and like obviously that's fucked up um and then the other problem is like a different kind of nostalgia which is like oh that's in the past 
um, things were wrapped up nicely for us. We got reparations and we got our apology. And so like, we're good now. We're Americans now. And did you, I didn't know, did, did people get reparations? Yeah. So they're, your, your family, uh, like your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My grand, my grandma did, um, my grandfather was uh in the u.s army during world war ii while you know like my grandma and his parents were all incarcerated um but yeah my my aunt um was part of like her generation were kind of the first to like be like this was not right and you know they not the first but they were like a real activist generation mm-hmm. um and they still are and the 60s, so she was like 60s. 60s 70s um but then the fight for redress and reparations was like in the 80s um and they won mm-hmm. they're like the only group in in the united states to have won reparations from the government and a lot of them who were involved in that fight are now really actively working to advocate for um reparations for slavery so there's like a stuff going on in congress it's kind of a precedent yeah um, absolutely and they got a lot of how out of it am, but yeah that's really yeah amazing. and they got a lot of support from the black community um when you know their initial struggle was going on and so yeah there are like there's a lot of ongoing work uh in the japanese american community to support reparations now and absolutely like using their experiences to you know make the case for that and, and, you know, that's what I mean when I say, like, the best lessons from Japanese-American incarceration are, like, the ones of solidarity. There's also been Japanese-American activists who have mobilized, like, you know, after 9-11 or, like, the Muslim ban or, you know, children in detention centers um, because they know what one of the endpoints of that looks like. And, yeah, so that's, like you know, the best, most inspiring part of being part of this community. And it's definitely real, but it's also not all it is. And so there, are, there's always, a, I don't know, just like easy narratives or, you know, in either way are always dangerous. What is an easy? I mean, every, I mean, I guess like everything is a dangerous narrative. I don't know. What, is, what do you mean by easy or dangerous? That like, because we have this history of progressive politics and by we, that's you, mean, you mean Japanese Americans. Yeah, that that's like what the community is about, which is like totally not the case because, um, you know, one of the things that we're like really trying to actively fight against in Little Tokyo is like its relationship to policing, for example, relying on the police to keep this sense of like safety in the neighborhood for business interests, basically. I mean, in part, it's for there are a lot of seniors who live in Little Tokyo and like that's real but yeah it there's just like a lot it's always complicated right i mean there's just different people have really different opinions about what a neighborhood should look like or what should like what is even like good and bad or like what is positive and negative development i think you always sort of see that absolutely so it's like a a dynamic conversation yeah and we're like really like right in the thick of it um and we've you know even just like doing our weekly work with the unhoused community in Little Tokyo, which I guess I should just like explain quickly. So um, yeah, I wanted to hear, yeah, and I wanted to hear like how you got involved. And you you also mentioned that you sort of walked away from I don't know your I think you meant your Japanese heritage or like you weren't really in touch with it or something. And then you returned like I want to hear more like kind of like your personal yeah just like what happened to you personally. 
So I think in your initial email, you mentioned that you did want to talk about um, my time in France too. So, you know, I was gone for like five years. I lived in Paris from, you know, right when I finished undergrad until the end of 2016. And so during that time, I was like, you know, I was, it was weird. I was an expat. I was, you know, like the American in Paris is a very... Does it render you, yeah, it renders you, I hear, like American immediately. Totally, totally. Yeah, everything. And it made me, I realized, like, towards the end of my time there, so I guess to kind of work backwards, I moved back to LA in December 2016. I had decided to move back in the summer, and then when Trump got elected, I was just like, oh, fuck, am I really moving back to the United States right now? But... I realized that like living abroad was allowing me to be in this like really apathetic, like apolitical state where like I felt disconnected from French politics. I couldn't vote there. So I was totally disconnected in that way. And then I wasn't living in the place where I could vote. And so all the stuff that was going on here politically, I just like really, I was pretty checked out um, because I could be. And it was like a super privileged, super problematic state to be in. And of course, you know, I was like in my 20s, like, you know, but I realized towards the end of it that like I was moving through the world with all the privileges of having, you know, my blue passport of, ha- of being American without having to bear any of the consequences of it. And it felt really bad. And so when I saw people like posting things like, oh, time to move to Canada or time to move to whatever, I was like pretty upset because I was just like, it's, it is a real kind of privilege to be able to just like walk away from it and, but still um, benefit from the nation state, you know? It's true. It's like kind of a dilemma between the individual responsibility and like, yeah. And, you know, obviously like individuals aren't responsible for everything that their country does but like you got to take some responsibility because you you do benefit from it i think what i meant is that individual you know it's like you make this individual choice versus maybe like a choice where individuals decide to come together you know and like form a community of some sort and then like try to this i think people are able to affect things more when they are through crafting Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah but you have to recognize what's being done in your name and I don't know, like acknowledge like how you're complicit and how that should push you to like act uh, accordingly. That's just what I'm trying to do. So, yeah. But right. So you were, so you decided to come back. Mm-hmm. You were talking about how you kind of re-engaged with um, Japanese. I don't know if you're thinking about your Filipino identity. Maybe they don't want to like avoid that. So, I mean, that's a totally other interesting thing. But first I'll just say, you know, during the five years that I was gone from like 2011 to 2016, LA changed a lot in that time. It was really when kind of like the contemporary art scene got really like cool here. And a lot of people were moving here from New York. A lot of the development was happening. It gentrified a lot. And so I moved back here and it just looked so different than when, I mean, obviously I had come back to visit, but like I was really grumpy about it when I got back. Like, I grew up at a time when, like, 
people would like shit on LA. Like New Yorkers would shit on LA. People from San Francisco would shit on LA. And then I got back and everyone's just like, oh, I'm moving here because I want to like have a yard and it's so cute. And and so it was su- it was super annoying. And it took me a while to like, I don't know, like realize that I was feeling like really bad about all these changes that had happened while I was gone. And then I gradually came to the realization that like everybody has this like originary LA in their mind which is like the one that they first encountered and every version that comes after that is the one that's inauthentic and that's happens for a lot of places yeah totally 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 and it's it's super problematic to feel like that it's like super problematic to feel like you you know what the the real something is because that's just yeah it's bullshit so that's one part of it and and so I got back and I was just like kind of trying to figure out like how I would fit in here again and like what my life would look like here I don't know I guess my gradual return into like the Japanese American community obviously like I work in contemporary art and but I also was raised like with an activist aunt and like with um, my dad, who's a musician who also like really thinks about social justice. And I went to a college that was like really, really social justice oriented and even a high school that was really social justice oriented. And so to have that, like what I didn't realize until like I was much older was like a really specific kind of upbringing and like being instilled with like the sense of progressive politics and like social justice is just like part of what you do which is like part of the way the way the world works and then being in contemporary art which is like so it's like not the case there at all it really like it like fucked me up I was like really like disoriented well because also I think in contemporary art people often kind of they speak about these issues a lot but then the under it, it's underpinned by like capital often and yeah or money. it's just like to- it's totally yeah. abstract yeah it's abstract it's like not even like a theorized version of social justice no it's like i mean at best it can be i mean obviously there are different like spectrums of that i don't want to paint with too broad a brush but anyway i just felt like the ways that i saw as possible for me to exist in contemporary art as like a creator or a writer it it was really hard for me to like feel a real sense of like groundedness or focus yeah I was gonna I feel like yeah I was like on the ground I felt like that kept, was kind of kept coming up for me like it just seemed yeah. like you really wanted to be like on the ground yeah like grappling with things in space I needed something else to orient me because I had this like built-in entry point into like political action which is like my aunt's history of activism and like her current activism just wondering if you could say a few words about your aunt oh yeah so i mean she's amazing she when she was in college in the 60s she met the brown berets and she like they kind of like initiated her into and the brown berets were a group in california i think that's like a um Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the you know latinx brown uh black panthers for it to be really really reductive about it um yeah um activists 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 yeah yeah Yeah. 
And so she dropped out of college and she started working for the United Farm Workers. Like then like from there with like learning from the Brown Rays, learning from the Panthers, the Asian American movement came out of that. And she was like, you know, mm-hmm. right in the thick of things. And um, like I mentioned, she was also part of the struggle for redress and reparations. And so like I had that model of the possibilities of activism and like, yeah. you know, he's seeing like, r- yeah. yeah. And she's still really involved with stuff. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of like looking for ways to get involved. And then the first thing was this anti-gentrification struggle in what is now the arts district, but actually used to be part of Little Tokyo. This live workspace that Japanese American artists had lived in since the 70s um, was bought out by a developer and they were all getting evicted, um, including like most of them are seniors. One person was like in their 90s and they were getting fucking evicted. It was so shitty. Yeah. Yeah. So I got involved with that. And then that's like kind of how I connected, how I like got to know better the people who I started J10 Action and Solidarity with. And but it took like a lot of time for you know this was all very gradual and then I got involved with like an arts group in Little Tokyo and can just started to get more of a sense of like what some of the conversations were and then last summer you know after like all the 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 uprisings uprising and crimes against Asian Americans yeah Yeah. well and the yeah 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 and then um i don't know it just like became clear that there was a need for a space to have some more difficult conversations about about again about policing about gentrification about you know how asian americans like fit into a racial hierarchy and how we benefit from racial capitalism and that was kind of how it all happened um and you know it's still very much like a work in progress and we're all learning and we're all i think i can't help but um notice somehow it feels to me that there's like a sense of guilt when you speak oh my god totally oh totally yeah but i mean i think but there's other things too, right? Yeah. Like, is it just, yeah. I I mean, God, I don't know how anybody like moves through the world and like doesn't feel guilty. We're all like complicit in so much shit here. Sure. Like I mean, I think you know, are, yeah, but, yeah. Like you know, if you drive a car and you drink water, you're like like actively doing doing harm. Um, and so. And okay, so you brought up the like anti Asian violence stuff. One of the things that just like is bothered me so much and continues to be really difficult for me is that a lot of I saw, I mean, on social media and whatever, a lot of Asian Americans like being like, oh, finally, it's our turn to like talk about how we're the victims and how we suffer so much. It's like our time to shine. And it's just like so problematic to not have like any of that, but yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's because I can tap like, into it from like my Jewish side or something. I don't know. Yeah, to- I, totally. <laughs> I oh yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, there just needs to be. You know, it's not to like discount that like there is like horrific 
but should we racialized be really and gendered. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if should, yeah. If we should be comparing, like someone's suffering more, someone's suffering less. I don't know. I don't know if I, if well, I agree it's not it's not suffering more or less, but it's like it's we're not just victims. We benefit from from racism in a lot of we benefit from anti-blackness in a lot of ways and to not recognize that and to only be like the anti-asian violence is bad and like it if you just don't have more nuanced conversations about that it turns into more policing it turns into like Mm, this really yeah yeah so in that way it feels difficult to grasp yeah i can see and there's just like this total like corporate takeover of that conversation you know just like oh i think all of that conversation has been just just eaten alive by all the corporations it's just like it's it's fucking disgusting so that are basically acting like they're it's something like you look at corporations and social media it's like they're all non-profits you know or yeah something, you know yeah basically like to this absurd degree like, yeah like marx could be writing this like yeah they call up angles yeah, oh my know. god i know <laughs> and so like you know if i sound if I sound guilty, it's because I'm like, shit, somebody has to sound guilty about this because, you know, other people are really happy to just be like, that's that's all it is. So I don't know. I'm not trying to be like self-flagellating. I'm just trying to like have a certain degree of like criticality that yeah. um, no. I think is su- is super I necessary, you. you know? No, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. And like there's like a lot of joy in it too. Like there's – I don't know. It's meaningful to like work through the really difficult stuff with other people and like be in that like those really uncomfortable places together. So yeah, it just sounds like it brings up such a different palette of things, like both kind of like a sense of like allegiance and wanting to protect and then also like wanting to change the system. That is like a really complicated And so to talk about my, the Filipino side of things, um, God, talking about guilt, so it's not that I don't identify as Filipina or Filipino-American, but I, I grew up so much more steeped in Japanese-American culture. For one, there's so many more like Japanese-American institutions and, you know, Japanese-Americans have just like been here for a long time. They've been in this country for a long time. So they've had time to set up like museums and 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 community organizations and uh you know all these different ways that to come together that have become like a very specific japanese american culture and um i also grew up like in la where my dad and my and his family are my mom moved to berkeley when she immigrated here and so her family is all in the bay area and you know i saw them a lot and like but I didn't grow up like it would have been really different if I had grown up in the Bay Area and I would have been much more steeped in like a specific kind of Filipino American culture that exists there. That's like not quite as strong in L.A. I don't know. Sometimes I do feel kind of guilty because like, well, one, I I look Japanese. I don't look very Filipino. You know, my name doesn't tell you that I'm Filipino there's also like a colonial history between Japan and the Philippines and there's like discrepancies in in education and class because of the different immigration histories you know Filipino Americans were like the hardest hit uh by COVID Mm -hmm. so it's weird for me to I 
I feel really viscerally this kind of the thing, some of the, like, again, some of the, like, broader things that are, like, at stake for Asian Americans in general, not treating Asian Americans like a monolith, recognizing when it's useful to be a unified group and recognizing when you, like, really need to have separate conversations. I don't know. Like, I don't know how my mom feels about me being so, so involved with Japanese American culture and community and, like, pretty much not at all with Filipino American culture. And I don't know, like, my grand, my, my mom's dad was, like, a guerrilla fighter against the Japanese occupation. And my mom and two of her siblings married Japanese people. And my grandfather would joke that it was the Japanese's final revenge against him. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I know. That's yeah. really close to home in this and it's kind of a joke, but then it's also kind of a story, totally. you know, like you could see like that it's like probably like a deep. Like, to- totally. Wow. And it's so intense. like, including my brother and I, there are six of us in our family who are Japanese and Filipino. And it's super fraught. It's like a really, you know, like in, like in my body, like these like histories and like current mm-hmm. like issues are like totally playing the out borders are like yeah, yeah. And, you. and like I in some ways have like picked a side and I picked the dominant side and like you know mm-hmm. yeah you can always switch sides I can always switch sides yeah so <laughs> yeah, but, I don't know um, I mean yeah I don't know I don't know if it's so you could say that but also it's not like I think saying picking a side is just really being, it sounds like you've sort of divorced yourself from the other, but I think you're very much still kind of thinking about the situation mm-hmm. and kind of yeah developing. Again, like you also your relationship, kind of your Japanese heritage kind of transpired over time and is evolving. I think we're changing all the time. Right now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Thank you. I need it's to not, hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, but sometimes I'm like, gosh, maybe I, like, maybe I should change my name so that I have like my mom's maiden name oh, in my name oh, so that it just it could just like signal to people like yeah. something like that but also her maiden name is not like super recognizably Filipino. So my mother's last name is Tamelden. I'm not really sure if people know what Filipino last names are like though and so I don't know if it reads as Filipino. And Tamelden is actually kind of a, an unusual Filipino last name. And her mother's maiden name is Lopez, because, you know, obviously there's that Spanish um, colonizing influence. And then my paternal grandmother's last name, or maiden name, is Namuda. And, and, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, the traditions of, of having very long names and using all of them. So I would be Ana, Aiko, Lopez, Namuda, Tamelden, Iwataki. And... Yeah, maybe that's a nice way of keeping everyone in the story. I guess also the question is like, is it like about kind of sharing it outward or showcasing it to the world versus like within you? Like, how much do we need to show, you know? I mean, for example, like at USC, the program 
administrator from uh, from my program is Filipina. And in my first meeting with her, she was like, you know, you're the first Filipino grad student we've had in Dornsife. And I was just like, excuse me? And because she saw someone's name in your No, because I'm I must have maybe I had to fill it out or I may have talked about it in my personal statement. I'm not sure how she knew, but I was just like, that is wild and really sad. But also that is wild and very sad. But also like it also you are that person. Exactly. Great. And that's why like in some ways you know, even though, like, obviously, mm-hmm. um, rep- it can't it can't end at representation, but representation does is it, it has part of it, yeah. And so, like, true. I see what you mean. Yeah. So I'm just like because, like, physically, I don't present as Filipina. I don't know. What do I? What should I do about it? What should I do? Yeah. Well, let <laughs> <laughs> me just solve all of it. You know, I don't know because I. <laughs> I have like a slightly similar problem in which, you know, I have a Zelazov, that's my last name, and that's actually my mom's name. My mom was Russian, my dad was Jewish, and I was given my mom's surname because um, at the time, it's like Soviet Union was very anti-Semitist, and so they were trying to kind of protect me from my name. So I thought I'd mention my dad's name out loud and that's Tsentepe, uh, and that translates from Yiddish as ten birds, I think. So Tsen is sign, and then Tsupo is um, ten, and Tsupo is birds. And then I guess if you combine it with my mother's surname, which is the one that I use normally, um, it's Zelazov, and that translates from Russian as made of iron, kind of. So I suppose if you join them together, it becomes... Uh, 10 iron birds. So I think I have a little bit of that of like, you know, both me and my brother have my mom's name for that reason and my dad has passed away and there's no one kind of... And anyway, in just in some way also, just like having this in the back of my mind that I'm kind of like, you know, by way of name, I'm like hiding this part of my heritage. I also entertain a similar sort of like, and actually, when I when I write my name like in Russian and various things, I just add his name, his surname on, just as a, just ca- like in casual settings, you know, if like I'm doing something. And I find that like quite satisfying to do. So, I think maybe my advice would be to try it, to try mm-hmm. adding name you mm-hmm. know, in some way, and then see mm-hmm. how you feel. And maybe that could be. And I guess maybe just sharing, sharing that story more maybe yeah totally totally yeah Yeah. it is i don't know it it really is um and i'm sure there will be ways for me to become more involved with filipino american culture and to yeah kind of like make the same moves to understand what it means Mm -hmm. to yeah um be filipino american in here like but you know what your grandfather said it's such a like powerful thing and it like implies a kind of contested body but it can also be like the parts can meet in your body to like a really harmonious you know like into like a harmonious Mm -hmm. and synthesis totally but it also you know when you see how like i mean obviously like lots of people interracial people experience 
you know, the weird dynamics of racism within their own families. Like, you know, my my parents kind of also joke, but not joke about how my dad's mom, when I was born, like, checked to see if how light I was and like, if I had a flat nose and like, you know, just like shit like that. Mm-hmm. Or like, yeah. um, and yeah, these are, yeah, I, had yeah. These are, I think it's interesting that these are the parts of I guess the this yeah, finally in this generation we're discussing it. I guess. Are you feeling hopeful about where we're going? Uh, I have moments of feeling hopeful. I've also have moments of feeling like really, really depressed about how things are and where they're going. But no, I think I mostly feel hopeful. I most often feel hopeful. Yeah, I think I do feel hopeful. I kind of go through cycles off. Also, you know, I'm in this um, it's my grandparents' apartment, um, and there's a lot of books also from like my childhood, and a lot of the books. There's like one, one, two. I'm reading it. A lot of them are, you know, Soviet books, so they have to do with like, they're like novels, but with revolutionary undertones. So, like in this novel, it's like a family. The narrative starts in the beginning of 20th century, so like maybe like 1909, and it's a family of a revolutionary who's on the run. And so, and it covers a lot of things like, like overworked people, like child labor, like a lot of issues, like extreme like income inequality. And it is so familiar. And I remember like reading it when I was a kid, you know, and of course like I was like a child and stupid, and I'm still stupid, but you know, I was very, (laughs) I'm just like, like accepting of idealism quite easily, you know, and I just remember like. I think it was like eight and reading it and I was like, oh my god, what a terrible time that was. Like how great that was like <laughs> now <laughs> like oh reality. God. Like we've passed that terrible time. Like I remember that. Like just reading about this like child, like his boss being really mean. I mean of course like at the time, you know, there were also like mines in other countries. Anyway, but it's just and then I was just like so sad. I felt so sad and I couldn't fall asleep on reading it before bed because I was like, oh my god, we're kind of like here I'm in this moment and it just sounds like like a hundred years later you know I know but yeah I also go back to the English as 10 something so 10 is I don't know the capital of humanity or 10 and to birds birds racism versus I don't know humanity I think yeah I guess it's just it's always like an ongoing struggle yeah actually I recently learned about um the Jewish concept of tikkun olam. Is that tikkun how you pronounce olam. it? Yeah, tikkun, yeah. yeah, tikkun olam, yeah. Which is so beautiful. Fixing yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, and like yeah. that saying that like, it's not your job to finish the task of fixing the that world, is, but, but that yes. doesn't make you exempt from participating yes, in it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Um, which is just like, it's beautiful. Exactly. It's really yeah. beautiful. So that's that's what I, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for visiting um, Born in Ghostland. It was a pleasure and really insightful and fun to have. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. So glad to be able to talk about all this stuff with you. Um, We got to have another one where you tell me more about your side of things and not just me. Let's do that. (laughs) 